Council. Uh, my name is Caleb Dillon. My name is Justin Jones. And this is a podcast about 40K, things related to 40K, and things related to wargamers who enjoy 40K. Justin, how are you doing today? Doing all right. How are you, sir? Uh, good. This is podcast number three, so it feels like we've got a couple of our training wheels off. We had some issues in the first couple ones that we're looking to resolve. Hopefully we'll get better like, uh, like wine with age the farther we go. Uh, so today we're going to be uh, talking about um, this uh, survey you uh, came across on Bella Lost Souls. We we sort of talked about it briefly at the end of the last podcast, um, and uh, it, it's kind of as an overview. Uh, this 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 survey group, uh, and I don't know if they're actually gamers themselves, but they did a an overall survey of the wargaming community to see whether or not stereotypes. Uh, played out. Stereotypes are something that we, we suffer in our community quite a bit. Um, as a D&D player, I can't tell you the number of times I've asked if I was a devil worshiper or if I sacrificed goats or you know what sort of dark things we did when we played D&D. Um, and wargaming is, is, is not the same, but it's definitely an extension of that. I think all gaming kind of gets leaked into that sort of geek category. Um, like the you are, you must be fat, white, smelly, stinky, without a girlfriend, probably a virgin, etc. Um, so we're going to debunk that myth today. We're going to talk about that. And, uh, and we're going to see whether or not the hype holds up to, uh, to what people suspect. Um, okay, so first off, let's um, just do a real brief set rep. Um, so Justin, have you been playing any games recently? Have you got any games in? Unfortunately, I've not been able to get any actual Tabletop 40K in, but what I have been doing is Death Watch. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's this is the Space Marine uh, equivalent uh, of um, the Dark Heresy game. It's an RPG, um, and in this you play a Space Marine who's part of the Death Watch, which is kind of like a uh, I don't know how would you characterize it. They're kind of like they do for Xenos what the Grey Knights do for demons, I guess. Kind of. They're more of the um, I would say the elite of the elite. Um, yeah, they're right they're right. very. It's it's a multi chapter force. Yeah. So you in the same army, you, the same army, in the same force or band, you could have a space wolf, a blood angel, a dark angel, etc. Yes. In fact, you you knocked down three of our oh, okay. uh, current kill team members. Uh, how many people are in your kill team? We uh, first started it, it, with two. Okay. Um, while the the DM, excuse me, GM, a uh, little throwback to my own Dungeons and Dragons days there. Um, Got his feet wet. Tried to get the handle on how the the rules work and whatnot. Uh, last Saturday, and this is the wonderful thing about Skype. We had our normal two people or three people, including myself, and my two friends are out living out in California. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had our, our our GM and his older brother, myself. So we had. Two California, two people in California, one person in the Midwest. We had two more observers come on. They wanted to see if they wanted to get in on our Death Watch game. So they kind of listened in like a fly on the wall kind of? Yeah, with with a degree of interactivity. So we had my friend of like tw- almost 20 years from Texas. He was on cool. our Skype call. And then we had another buddy of ours who was currently interning, I think, with the NSA out in Maryland. Did they um, did they play or did they just sort of? When you say, yeah, what, what was their role in the game? Mostly, exactly. it was it was listening, but they were also asking questions like, "Okay, how does oh, okay. this work?" And, and toward the end of the, I don't know if they played like 
part of your retinue. Like they no. were like they were like I'll be a servo skull and <laughs> just sort of yeah. No, around. no, it wasn't anything like that. Toward the end, though, both uh, Nathan and Jared uh, started to roll up characters. Nice. So we have currently provided everybody can link up again. We have uh, my friend Alan, who plays a Blood Angel Space Marine assault specialist. Cool. Very good at taking on individuals. Does he have a jump pack in the typical Blood Angel style? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, He wouldn't be a Blood Angel without one. Right. We have a Space Wolf Sniper. Nice. Uh, That's my character, Brother Stellan. Cool. Uh, We have a Dark Angels Devastator. And we have an Ultramarines Librarian. Those are our two newest characters. Cool. Nice. Um, you know, I don't have a lot of. Ex- I have actually zero. I have zero experience with the Death Watch system. I do have a little experience with Dark Heresy because um, we had a, a game, and you know, I know from experience that starting a new system is always a challenge. But I, I like the way the forty the uh, that system plays. It's a it's a it's a fantasy 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 flight. Yeah, Fantasy Flight Studios did did the system, and they did a really good job with it. It's 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 not difficult to use. It's it's quick to learn. Um, so I, I, I definitely like what they're doing with it. Um, and you said your DM, is this, is this his first time doing this particular game? Does he have experience doing other role-playing games? Or is it sort of his first experience doing any role-playing game? I think Micah, th- this is his first, this is Micah's first Death Watch. I think he used to do the Star Wars. Okay, so he has experience uh, with sci-fi role-playing. Yeah. But, and yeah. I guess he's very good at crafting stories. I mean, one of the things he told us he wants to do eventually is he wants to veer away from Death Watch and maybe do some Great Crusade or Horace Heresy stuff, well, which cool. would be completely awesome. That would be awesome. I mean, even though like 30K and 40K have their differences in terms of the game, um, I definitely, it's not like it's night and day. Like, Bolters existed 10,000 years ago and that sort of thing. Um, you just have to sort of retrofit some of the technology, make stuff seem, seem a little bit older and you know, does fantasy, actually does, does, it goes does, does, the other way. It goes oh. the other way. The technology in the thirty-first millennium was actually newer. Oh, nice. I see. Oh, well, I guess that would make sense when they talk about antiquated technology of our day. So, I mean, case in point, look at the Legiones Astartes, which is what they call themselves in, in the thirty-first millennium. Yeah, there is a profusion of jet bikes. Oh, that's true. Now they only have like there's like one. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like and the, the the Dark Angel guy has Samuel one. has it. Yeah. Um, whereas other races are just flying around on jet bikes. They're just like, hey, we still got it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's true. Um, okay, so the guy is, uh, so he's he's running the game and you guys are playing. How often do you guys play? Once a week? or We are trying to get it set up for Saturdays. The only screwy part we have to worry about is that we're all on different time zones. Yeah, I ran into that a little bit. I had a Skype game with a friend of mine. We were playing Pathfinder and we had that problem is that the game would wrap it like 11 o'clock for me, but it was only 10 o'clock for them. Yeah. <laughs> so try it, was, it. it was difficult. Now try it with West Coast time. Yeah, with three hours difference. I can see that. So uh, for I them, guess, it's yeah. it's 8 o'clock in the morning. For me, it's 11. That is interesting. <laughs> uh, they don't mind, though. I mean, Alan and Micah, they're they're cool with it. You know, I've, and, and I've never role played that early in the morning before. <laughs> yeah, unless you've been staying up real late the night before. But the, the nice thing is, too, you have to realize that we've all known each other you know, one decade plus. That is one of the nice things about Skype is that, you know, boundaries be damned, you can sort of 
continue to enjoy your play experience in a limited capacity. A little right. easier with a role-playing game than it would be like with, say, with a 40K game. But, right. um, you know, it definitely it, it, pretty cool. In fact, it's, it's something... My best Dungeons & Dragons experience I ever had was with my friend Alan as, as, as the dungeon master because right. he was more interested in crafting a unique uh, and interesting story than he was in seeing how many game mechanics he could throw at the party. So it, it's, it's kind of nice that we've kind of come full circle where we have all of us back together again via Skype playing Death Watch, you know, playing another RPG, because we are all a very close-knit group of people, you know. Right, sure. You know, so I, I don't want to wax sentimental here, but, you know, we, we're all, we're, basically all of us are like brothers, you know. Yeah, that's cool. So. And you're playing a game where you quite literally are sort of brothers in, <laughs> brothers in battle. Yes! So there you go, that kind of makes sense. Well, that's cool. Um, all right, well, we look forward to hearing more updates about that in the future. Um, I, I do kind of miss role-playing. I definitely hope I can get back into it at some point. It's just not on my priority list right now. Um, I have not got in a game, uh, a tabletop game, for the last couple of weeks because we've been in the middle of renovating um, the garage. We, uh, I, it's, it, <laughs> I work in my garage like most miniature studio artists do when they're first starting out. All of them do. And uh, unfortunately, the garage is not very well insulated, so it's piping hot. On top of that, it's dirty. Uh, because it, it was never really properly clean when we moved in. I just sort of shoved everything in there. So finally, I, I just decided I'd had enough with it. So a few weeks ago, I made some calls and, and got some vendors, or vendors, not vendor, contractors. Um, and we've started doing some stuff like um, we're installing an air conditioning unit. We're going to power wash the inside. I installed an airbrush hood. Um, so I'll have a proper ventilation. So it's going to be really nice when it's all done. But unfortunately, it has cut into my game time. Um, the only thing I have been able to play recently is I, I recently re-picked up um, uh, the Space Marine 40K video game, um, which was released a few years ago. And this is the one where you play Captain Titus and you basically are fighting off. And it's, what starts as an orc invasion, what eventually becomes a chaos incursion. Um, so did you ever get to play this? It was on the... You probably didn't, but it was... I demoed it. You demoed and, it? Yeah, I didn't really get too much into it. Yeah. Uh, it was, it's actually developed by one of my favorite company's relic yeah you know and they do they do a really good job people you know and i'm the biggest video game player so like i usually play games i usually pick them up used like six or eight months after they come out because i don't want to spend 50 60 dollars um so when i pick up a game um my expectations are, are certainly probably lower than what most people are most people sort of play a game bang it out over the weekend move on to their next thing and they just voraciously chew through games um, I don't really look at it that way. I'm kind of just looking at a game as sort of an escape for a few hours. It, it needs to meet some expectations, but uh, but the Space Marine 40K game, the video game, really met all of my expectations. Like, I'm a big hulking marine. I stomp on a lot of stuff. Like, I get to shoot everything that moves. Like, it's just a, it's just a fun game. And they've got all my favorite weapons in there. They've got jump packs. They have thunder hammers and... And um, so that's been kind of fun just to sort of reinvest and waste some time doing that again, just sort of as a release from your every average every day when you want to wind down. Yeah. Um, I, I've seen from videos, they finally got the sound of the bolt gun right in that gear. <laughs> yeah, bolters were funny because people, uh, it's one of those things that it's hotly debated about the sound of what a bolter sounds like. Is it the daka daka of the orcs? Is it more of a slow you know, sort of, thump, 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 like, you know, and they, they do, the sounds in that game are fantastic. I'll say that. Um, 
So I definitely recommend that if people are looking for something mindless to do. Um, okay, so we will move on from that, and let's jump into um, uh, Lookout Sirs. Uh, Lookout Sirs is our segment where we talk about new products, upcoming releases, and Justin, I know you're probably excited about this because Lizard Men are back. Yes, they are. Um, now, how long has it been since um, Lizard Men, this release, so we're in 2013, when did they last get released? When was the old Codex, or not it- Codex, Army Book? Was it two thousand? Is two thousand six or two thousand seven? I yeah, think. Yeah, sounds right. It's been a while, so it's been six, seven years. So about time. Um, now you're a Lizardmen player. In fact, that was my first Warhammer Fantasy army. Was Lizardmen? How, how do you think they play? Do you do you enjoy playing them? Do they fit your play style? I mean, I guess they do if you if you play them. But they are a very uh, slow army. Uh, not slow as in. Uh, I, I mean, in, in a movement sense. In for those of you who have not played Warhammer Fantasy, there's a, a an added characteristic on your stat line. The stat block is almost identical: with weapon skill, ballistic skill, strength, toughness, wounds, initiative, attacks, leadership. But they add another one in fantasy movement. Um, and lizardmen are a little on the slow side, but they're a very tough army. Was their average move like four or something? Yes. The I average... assume skinks are fast, though, aren't they? Skinks move six. Oh, that's that's not, six really, not really fast. It's more like average. No, that's, in fantasy, that's actually very fast. Is okay. um, four is the average movement, but the the thing about the the Saurus units is that they're initiative. They're the slowest the slowest unit in the game. Oh, I see. So it's not that their movement is necessarily so slow, it's that their initiative is low. Right. To, to compensate for that, though, they are some of the toughest infantry in the game, though. Yeah, But sure. the, the thing that lizard men are known for, there's two things. They're monsters and they're magic. Because the Slan Mage Priest is the best caster in the game. Nice. Barring special characters like Kairos Fateweaver. Now, I think it's interesting because I hear this term tossed around a lot, the best in the game, the best in the game, the worst in the game. I hear that a lot, too. Well, so just to play the level advocate, because I, I generally never use that term because I, I am not a fan of saying the best of anything. I, I think it might trend, trendily be the best in the game for a moment but in time. But what makes you say the Salon Mage Priest is the best in the game? Before, I haven't seen the new rules. Okay. So I, I, okay, in the old rules. Forget the new rules. In the old, yes, in the old rules, the Salon gained several advantages, several upgrades and several advantages that allowed him, it, to do things that a normal spellcaster could not do. And the other thing that made them so deadly was that they could serve as your army's general and your army's battle standard bearer. And if you coupled them with a specific unit, the Temple Guard... They were pretty hard to kill. Uh, there was really no way they, they had all the benefits of being inside of a uh, of a friendly unit attached to a friendly unit with none of the disadvantages, and okay. they could basically throw spells with impunity. There, there was a lot of other things that I don't want to get into a big discussion yeah, okay. of, of fantasy here, no, but sure. you know, but they, there weren't very many spellcasters that are much better than a slon. Okay. 
Nice. Well, I will have to take your word for it. And um, maybe people on the podcast can, um, or people on the podcast, people on Facebook, on our Facebook page, um, can agree or disagree with Justin and list your reasons as to why um, slons are so. I, I would be very interested to see those reasons because yeah. I, I, my, I am a really big Warhammer fantasy fan. We'll have to do a fantasy podcast in the future, just because I do want to talk about fantasy sometimes, uh, and we are in fact talking about it now because with Lizardmen being our our uh, upcoming rumor mill. Um, but at, at the time this podcast has aired, um, they actually have already came out. So um, I, I guess I'd like to briefly, and by briefly I just mean really briefly, just talk about, because we're not a fantasy podcast, but just talk about what is in the new release and um, some of the new units, that sort of thing, and what we're excited about in terms of that. Um, so uh, let's, so the, obviously the rule book's coming out. They've got their limited edition book as well. Limited edition book's kind of cool. It's got like a scaly, skinny cover, makes it look sort of like scales. That's neat. Yeah. Uh, $90, which is high, uh, but I think it's probably typical for what they've seen so far. Um, they've got their brand new ba- Bastilodon, I guess is what they call it. It looks like a big ankylosaurus is what it looks like. Um, so uh, it's sort of a giant, turtly looking creature with a massive shell, big old clubbed uh, um, uh, tail. I, I like the big dinosaurs in the Lizardmen range. I think the dinosaurs in a fantasy army are fantastic. I think they give Lizardmen a very cool feel. They give it a very different feel than any other army there is. I like the Aztec Mayan thing they got, or the Incan thing they got going on. Um, I, I was always a fan of the Stegodon, so when the Bast- Bastilodon came out, I, this, was, this was a win for me. Uh, I, I like the look of it. I think it's fun. Um, then they got the Carnosaur, which also doubles as this thing called the Troglodon. And I, I give them credit for finally putting a Carnosaur in a plastic kit um, and a modular yes. plastic kit. Because in the past, it's been this big, it was metal or white metal. And then yes, I, think it was I, I have cast. that model. It was really expensive. Now, the price hasn't really gone down here. It's still expensive. It's $85. Um, which any time I see something that's $85 on what amounts to a chariot base, I'm a little skeptical. Um, but what I'm seeing now in a lot of this is that the game, 40K has definitely gotten physically bigger with stuff like Riptides and, and the Eldar Wraith, uh, Wraith Knight. The game is physically it, it outgrowing itself. Like physically the bases don't really <laughs> compensate anymore. Um, like the Coven Throne in the Vampire Counts range, it's like it fits on a, it fits on a chariot base, but it's, it's like two or three times what you'd expect for that. So, you know, in my mind, I think you're getting a pretty decent value for your $85. It is a modular kit, so you get some extra bits. Being that they're Lizardmen, you know, the modularity of those bits is limited. There's not a lot of models you can use a dinosaur head with to convert. I suppose you could use it for like a Demon Prince or something. Um, but there's some, you know, limited basis for what you could do with that. Maybe some fun spawn or something. Um, and then they've got the Pterodon Ripperdactyls, which I think are, are fantastic. Do you, did you ever use, um, the old, what were they, what they used to be called? Pterodons? They were, they were Pterodons. I never really used them too much in my, I, I have the, the unit of three you put together for me, the yeah, alternative sure. back when I just didn't want to pay ridiculous cost for, Pterodons. We did like a kind of like a coatl looking thing, right? It was sort of like a, something like that, like phoenix looking thing. Uh, more of a bird, less of a lizard. Yeah, that's, they, and that's fun. Talking about uh, well, just the, tri- I, I like the look of them. I mean, they're they're yeah. kind of not your typical. In the past, the fantasy stuff has been the flyers are kind of very much vertical to the ground, or not vertical, horizontal to the ground. Uh, yeah. And these are actually kind of canted a little bit, so their wings are... They, they look like they're descending kind of at, at different heights and uh, 
It, yeah. It was kind of cleverly designed that the stem goes into like these things that are flinging underneath, like it looks like some sort of incendiary bomb or something. And, um, so it's a clever looking kit, a little expensive, $60 for three. Eh, it's a little pricey. Yeah. I, I, the, the rules, the problem is that the rules for the old, the old rules, they weren't terribly useful. Yeah, so maybe the Ripper Dactyls will be a little bit better. We'll have I mean, to they, see. They, they, I, when I actually do look at the new rules for the Lizardmen, uh, then I'll be able to determine, you know, what I can and what I cannot take in an army. That's yeah. my Lizardmen. That's my, that's my overcompetitive fantasy army. That's the only army I really have that's meant to be douchebagish. Sure. Okay. Well, at least you're honest about. It. Yeah. Um, two characters are in here. I don't know if they're new or not. You can tell me. There's Teto Echo and Gorok. Th- those are new. They're characters. not new. Oh, they're yeah. not new. Okay. Are these new sculpts, maybe? Or yes, I would okay. imagine so. I like the Ted Echo guy. He looks fun because he's riding on one of these um, flying stone palanquins, which I've always thought were really cool. Um, I've always wanted to use one of those for like a Nurgle conversion, but they're so expensive; it's not a cheap way to convert one. Um. Okay, well, um, you being a Lizardman player, do you have any closing thoughts on on the new upcoming releases? Things you're hoping they change, or I'm hearing uh, the the one rule I really am curious to see is I mean, on Bell of Lost Souls, people were talking about how the Saurus infantry are useful now, and I really want to see what they did to make them useful. Why and I'm they, really ex- why were they useless before? Is it a well, initiative thing again? It was mostly the low initiative. I mean, in, as I said, in fantasy terms, Saurus are pretty tough. Uh, they're not easy to kill. Is that because of their like scaly hide kind of thing? It was. It was their scaly hide uh, coupled with their tough with their toughness score, which they had toughness four in fantasy. And in fantasy, for basic infantry, that's really high. Yeah. Um, they do not. Their their problem is is that that they're like I said they're so slow and there's so many things out there, high elf white lions for instance, that could chop through Saurus warriors without the Saurus being able to to hit back because they're so slow. So I'm the 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 rumor without actually seeing the rule in it is that they've gotten more useful and I'd be very excited to see that because I have more Saurus warriors than I know what to do with. Well, maybe one of our listeners who's listening in can can write a comment to say why they think it's more useful. I would um, appreciate that. Yeah, sure. So you have Justin's request. Um, okay, so let's move on to our main topic, and um, we're talking today. We're going to talk about the survey that we mentioned earlier in the podcast. Um, now we are going to post some links to this on the page, so if you have not seen it, you can certainly link to it from there. It is live on Bella Lost Souls. It's easy enough to find uh, if you just go into their search field and type in um, "academic study" or "survey" or "wargamer survey." It should pop up, but we will, we will put some notes there. Um, okay, so I, I guess the first things first. Um, the guy who developed this, his name is Ian Cross, and he has a master's from William and Mary. I mean, that off right off the back says I, I probably am going to listen to him more than I'm going to listen to Joe Schmo down the street. Like, this is, this is a graduate of a top school. This is an Ivy League college. Uh, I don't know if he did this as part of a thesis or not. I don't recall. But it, it could have just been that he's doing this just because he wants to see what it, how it pans out. Um, so, okay, he's, he's a good, smart kid, good school. 
did a survey. The survey was broken down into four parts, and the parts, I don't know, it was probably about 15, 20 different points that he brought up. Um, do you have anything you want to say right off the back before we jump in, Justin? Any yeah, I, I was going to comment. It's 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 more. It definitely was a institutional survey because he mentions that he had to get his clearance through their uh, research uh, test okay. subject board. So it was sort of done in in, in I guess sanctioned by William and Mary. Yeah, my, my guess is it was a master's thesis. That's what it looks like to me. Nice. Okay. Very cool. Um, so right off the back, he's he's already got I think one blue chip working in his corner working for him in that it was you know kind of sanctioned by an Ivy League school. So that makes me more interested in it. And this guy, I would guess that he he has a pretty good idea of what he's doing. Um, so the first point in the survey is it, it, they they wanted to test various stereotypes. They wanted to test the stereotypes specifically whether or not war gamers were, and they created a list, and the list was. Male, white, upper middle class, conservative, politically disinterested or apolitical, i.e. not political in nature, um, geeky or nerdy, and they kind of left those very broad. And then they also had a point that they wanted, you know, unshowered, smelly. Basically, do we, meet, do, we, do we fit the stereotypes? Does the gaming community, if you were to ask someone on the street what a gamer is like and they describe this person, would we meet the bill? Um, and as you said at the end of the last, last podcast, you were of the opinion that people should not be so quick to rump, reach, uh, to judge and to reach conclusions before they yep. really have a chance to break it down. Don't, don't generalize, as one of my friends who's a social worker would say. Yeah. Um, so they, uh, they polled about 2,700 people. About 400 of those were unusable because of age, not signing the right confidentiality statements, and um, uh, people who were not members of the citizens of the United States. Um, does that skew them that they didn't allow people who weren't citizens of the United States? Yes, because, it does. I mean, because uh, what does it matter if they were? I mean, maybe that was one of the problems with it being a William and Mary thing was that, you know, because my thought is is that if you play 40K and you don't happen to be a citizen, I think your opinion is still valid in terms of the wargaming community. Yeah, it's it it definitely. Well, one of the in fairness to to Mr. Cross, one of the criteria was he wanted to check the geographic distribution of wargamers throughout the United States. So that might have been why he decided to eliminate uh, non-U.S. citizens. But I still find fault with him for this because he should have just made it general geographic distribution rather than distribution across the United States. Sure. Um, he, he does point out in, in the text that he, he was trying to go for a random sampling. So I think his notion was that if he sort of you know, grab just a bunch of different results from scattered around that he would get, I guess, a neutral first base um, and start from a, from even an even keel. Um, but I, I can definitely understand why you find fault with the methodology. Um, not to get off on the not not to get off on a bad foot. Um, okay, so the first part of the survey talked about race, gender, and wealth, and they found that 97% of the people who filled out the survey uh, were male. Yes, I don't really think that's. There's no surprise there. How many how many female gamers have you played with in 40k or fantasy? I, I think female played, gamers in Warhammer and fa- Warhammer Fantasy and 40k sure. is there really such a thing? thing? Yeah, I know, right? In your whole gaming career, I've played in my entire time of wargaming, I've probably played one girl, and she was a friend of mine's girlfriend, and she played Dark Eldar, which nothing up against Dark Eldar, but they're one of the more feminine races. Like they the witches are very these dominant female, you know, like. 
what do you call them? Dominatrixes, and they're mistresses of pain, and it's very sexual. And you yeah, know, let, let's just call a spade a spade here. Like, of course, they they're drawn to that that army. I did um, know somebody that she was thinking about getting into fantasy, uh, into Warhammer fantasy, and she wanted to play dark elves precisely for that reason exactly. because she wanted to have an army of all dark elf witches, and she was going to call it her murder sluts army. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so this is not really a surprise here. Uh, I, I kind of wonder if of the 4% or the 3% of women that did play, what were their armies? That would be interesting to see. Maybe he breaks that down later in the survey. Um, so that was uh, with, um, in regards to gender. In regards to wealth, uh, it wasn't as clear-cut, and he makes a point that it wasn't as clear-cut. He said 65% of respondents made over 32000 a year. 12% indicated they made over 105, quite a gap. And then the rest of them made under 32. Um, I fall in the over 32 category, but it's not far over 32. <laughs> I yeah. make about 38 a year. Um, so I guess the preponderance, the, the assumption was that Wargamers made a lot of money because 40K is an expensive hobby, and how can you play it if you're not... Rich. Very carefully, yeah, because and, I am broke. Yeah, I I don't have a lot of extra money. What do they call it when you have extra? It's like uh, discretionary income or something like something that. Like that. Anyway, yeah, I don't have a lot of that. Um, my income is is in short supply. The thing is, is that when I started playing twenty years ago, uh, and God, it has been over twenty years now. It's been like twenty two years. The game was cheap. Getting into forty yeah. k was really cheap. You could get into an army all the way completely into it. This was back in the days of white metal. You know, you could get into an army for a couple hundred bucks. You could have a ton of them. You could buy armor cast resin figures for $30. You know, uh, it was just, it was a good time, I felt like, to be in wargaming. But this was also the time when gas was 80 cents. <laughs> yeah. Know, and bread was whatever, a nickel or some shit. Um, so, you know, it's hard for me to look back at that and, and just think, you know, I do think the economy is... is, is Yes, wargaming is more expensive today than it was. It's hard for me to look back there and say if that was expensive back then. I don't think it was, because I bought it. I was a lifeguard at the time. I hardly had a lot of money, <laughs> but I did manage to afford to play 40K. Yeah, and I got into it in about 2004, and at that time it wasn't really wasn't terrible. You could get a good start with your armies. You know, I, I put about 200 and had. Oh, about easily a two thousand point Space Marine army at that point, you know. Um, so there's twelve percent of people that make over a hundred thousand a year. So that must be nice. Yeah, these are the clients I need to find. I need to find. <laughs> I need this twelve percent to call them. Um, because these. This is this is actually the exact kind of client I want. These are clients that have a lot of. Uh, surplus income and probably don't have a lot of time. These are like doctors and lawyers who want to play in their free time but just don't have the time to paint. You know, call me if you're in the twelve yeah. percent. Give me a call. Yeah, you hear that, Alan? If you're in, <laughs> you, you need to give Caleb a call. And then uh, there was a significant portion of people. Uh, well, I guess we can do the reverse math here. You know, twelve percent plus you know whatever sixty-five percent. So what is that? About thirty percent were under, I guess. Something like that. Um, so a significant, not an insignificant portion of people made under thirty-two thousand a year. So they kind of broke that that wide open. This idea that we're we're not really a wealthy community um, overall. Uh, okay, and he had one more point on the first survey, but I'm having trouble locating it in his results. Um, it was the it was the Race. you had the yeah the ethnic background the ethnic makeup 
of Wargamers. Where does he note that on this thing? I see something... I don't know where... It, I, I just don't see it on the first page. And on top of that, I, as we discussed earlier, isn't it kind of skewed? Like, how can you talk about race if you excluded the people who were not American citizens? Doesn't that kind of hurt the results there? I think the the assumption is is that the vast majority of 40K and fantasy players are in the Western Hemisphere. But there, there's something I want to mention about that later after we're done uh, with with the, the main discussion uh, here. He does have one small point. I see it here. Uh, he says 86% of respondents indicated they were white. So, okay. Mostly white folks. That's I think also very, in my experience, that has been true as well. Um, the number of times I've played people who were not white is, I don't know, far between. It's maybe one out of every ten games was a non-white person. Funny, funny because most of the two of the guys at my old FLGS back in Texas were Hispanic. Oh, sure. Very, very, I, I very good I've, at the game. I've never played a Spanish-speaking uh, or a Spanish, an ethnically Spanish war gamer. I've played black. I've played Asian. Uh, I've never played an, a, a Hispanic war gamer. That's interesting. The, they were very, very good at the game. <laughs> I wonder. I, I wonder where that, what, what did they do? Like, why were they, Why did you say it? Because you say it with such with such zeal. Why do you say they were very good at the game? Well, for example, one of my friends, he was a big fantasy player, vampire counts player, and this is the kind of guy who took on some of the best people in the country and could win. So he just happened to be a good player and he was Hispanic. You're not saying yeah. like Hispanics are really good. <laughs> no, no, it's it's just I just it just made me think of this oh. guy that he was just very good at what he did and oh. I have to say a, a little bragging rights for me here. I actually managed to beat him once. Nice. It's always fun. You know. Um okay. So uh, so good to know. I still have not played uh, Hispanic player, so maybe I'll look for that in the future and try to it feels weird to try to try to make my bucket list getting in a game with a Hispanic player. There's something seems wrong about that. Well, see, remember though that I I was living in Texas. Oh, uh, that's fair. Yeah, good call. You know, I, I don't know what the the how big the Hispanic minority in Raleigh is, but I mean it's 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 quite a bit. I mean it's it's I work with Spanish people in every job I do. I mean so it's very common. Okay, um, well, fair but I enough. guess it also depends in what. Like you said, regionally, you're going to see a lot more, I think, Spanish-speaking people, frankly, the closer south, the farther south you go. Right. Um, it's, just, it's, just, it's just geography. It's just the way it works. Okay, so um, that was part one of the survey. In part two, uh, he was testing... Um, well, what was he testing in part two? Uh, he was testing... Oh, this is the part of the survey, actually, that I, I, was, I thought maybe was a little off. So... In the second part of the survey, he basically had um, sort of a, a yes or no section where he talked about, do you agree with these statements? Like, are, are gamers the following? And he listed off a long list. And one of them was geeky nerdy. One was intelligent or good students, attentive to detail, socially awkward or inept, smelly, i.e. poor hygiene, single, i.e. not involved romantically, uh, ideologically reactionary or very conservative, and not political or interested in politics. Um, but the thing is, is that how do you really pull that? Like, if, if I say, like, I'm white, I mean, it's clear I'm white. Like, you see me, you look at me, I'm a white guy. But my question is, if someone says, like, are you smelly? Like, is the wargamer going to... Like, so the wargamer they asked, he had to click yes. If he was 
sensitive about that, wouldn't he have not clicked yes? Or maybe he doesn't know that he smelled it? Yes, and that's the primary fault that I find with Mr. Cross's survey, is that he was actually, he should have been asking people that associate with war gamers, or with the war gaming culture, rather than the war gamers themselves. I mean, I take a shower every day, so I can answer that question with all honesty, but but some people don't. He looks at he he didn't necessarily ask whether or not you were as a person. Like if I filled out the survey, he wasn't asking whether I was geeky. He was asking whether or not gamers were geeky. So I guess to 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 give Mr. Cross credit, he was saying, "Do you observe this in your wargaming experience? Like, do you observe gamers are very geeky people, or do you observe that they are intelligent and or good students, or et cetera, et cetera?" Um, so seventy two percent said they were geeky or nerdy. I mean, I think that's fair. I definitely that's, that's a given. Yeah, you know, I, I define myself as I wouldn't define myself as geeky. Um, I hear the term stealth geek thrown out a lot. Um, I don't know if I am a stealth geek because when I think of a stealth geek, I always think of like someone who just really doesn't talk about it. And I have a website dedicated to it. I have a podcast. We have a podcast we're dedicating to it. So it's hardly like I, I'm under the radar here. Um, but to be fair, I don't like go to work and like, you know. I don't know. I mean, it would, it would, a, stere- a bad stereotype would be like in my Star Trek uniform. Yeah. Like, I'm not that guy. Well, I, I think what you're trying to say is you don't let it dominate your life. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put it. Like, it, it's not the first thing that comes up in conversations. Um, so, uh, anyway. So, the second part of the second question was intelligent and or good students, 51%. Um, I, I would say that's fair. I actually feel like that's a little low. Um because it's the rule book for 40k is like 100, it's like 300 pages or something. Uh, not all of that is rules. Some of that's just fluff and, and that sort of thing. But it's it's not a small book. It's a tough game to learn. It's a tough game to stay on top of. 20 years later, I still have to look up rules all the time. <laughs> yes. So I, I'm actually surprised. Maybe this is a sign that the game has become more mainstream. Um, and so as a consequence of that people who don't necessarily think of themselves as intelligent play, or maybe this is a consequence of these guys who answered the question only 51%, maybe they were saying that I don't play with smart people. Like, they were basically sort of naysaying, like, you know, kind of an ego trip. Like, I don't yeah. think people I play against are smart at all. Um, so that's difficult to say that if that was really accurate or not. There, there might be something to your 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 assertion that the game is getting more... I mean, you did. when did you come in? Second edition? Second edition, yeah. Now, how, I've heard second edition is really complicated. You know, I, it's hard for me to... <laughs> it's hard for me to say now if it was complicated because now that I'm used to, to every edition since then, I don't even remember the basic rules of, of second edition. Like, what I do remember was that every weapon had a different... There weren't really generalities. Like, weapons did, like, D3 wounds and stuff, and characters were kind of king in those days. Um, like, your characters were lo- sort of like they are in fantasy. They would cost hundreds of points, and they just did ridiculous amounts of damage. Um, okay. I don't feel like the game was more complicated back then, but it's hard for me to know. To, to put it in context, I was 16 or 17 when I was playing back then. When I first started, I was a young... I was, I was a kid. So it couldn't have been that complicated if a 17-year-old can grasp the concepts of the game. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it, I, third edition was where the game, I felt like, started to get more complicated because that was when they started to introduce all of the mechanics that we see today. Um, second edition was kind of more of a, yeah, it was kind of like a second draft of Rogue Trader. Like, they developed okay. Rogue Trader, and then they developed second edition. And, uh, gotcha. Uh, attentive to detail was 49%. 
Uh, That's a little low because you kind of have to be that way to play this game. Yeah, I would say so too. Like, and, and by a little low, I guess we're not necessarily saying that Mr. Cross's survey was wrong. I guess what I'm saying is I'm surprised. Like, yes. I would have I thought that would have been higher. Um, but to be fair, in a lot of games, I do forget stuff. Like, I, I do. <laughs> I have to make. I like. I've I've tried everything to remind myself of things. I've made counters. I've made, you know, um, uh, cards. I've bought cards. But at the end of the day, there's a lot to remember. Yes, there is. But I think we all, to some degree, have to be have a more uh, have an have to have an affinity toward that attentiveness to detail because of the very nature of the game we play. And, it, sure. and again, I'm not saying that you're going to be able to remember everything because you know you don't you shouldn't have to have an eidetic memory to play this game. Because right. if if you did, I'd be screwed. <laughs> you know, sure. I mean, I don't have I have a pretty damn good memory, but my memory isn't a dedic, thankfully. Yeah, sure. Well, maybe this is a sign that the game is getting too complicated. That if people don't think that they're attentive to detail, maybe 40k has overstepped its complication bounds a little bit. Um, and it's hard for me to be a fair gauge of that because. You know, we play the game, so it's hard for us to look at it and say, could it be simpler? Um, because every time we, we get used to the rules, they release a new edition. Yeah. Um, Though I, I do think fantasy is a lot more complex than 40K is. Yeah, and I, and I, I tend to agree with you in that regard. Um, but being that I, you're a bigger fantasy player than I am, it's hard for me to really judge and, that fairly. It, it, and I'll get to that. Again, there's something. There's a couple things I want to bring up at the end of this. After we're okay. talking about the survey, and I'll talk about this these things that are rolling around in my head right now. All right. Uh, so. Well, let's see. Next one was socially awkward or inept, 38%. Um, Fair. Yeah, sure. I, I think that geek is kind of the new chic. Like, with yes. becoming, considering that video games are so mainstream now, sci-fi and fantasy, I feel like has become more prevalent in our, in our, in our films and our TV shows. Geek is kind of trending now. It's getting back, it's getting more into the limelight. It's integrating. So I'm not yes. entirely surprised at that. Um, although I will say that, you know, even among war gamers, I feel like being a little socially awkward is a little common. Like I can't count the number of times I've gone into a game store and there's that guy who's like kind of in the corner. You don't know if he's playing. You don't know if he's just hanging out. You're not sure. Yeah. Um, so, and, and to be fair, a lot of the people I play with, there are people that I would like have over in my house or have a beer with. There's people I wouldn't. There, there's gamers that I just want to get in a game with, and then I kind of want to go back about my life. Um, yes. So you know, if the, I guess if the social, if I if I form a bond with them like you and I did, then cool, absolutely. Like I, I want to get involved more with you and and you know hang out and stuff. But right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Twenty three percent felt that war gamers were smelly <laughs> or had poor hygiene. Uh, I think that's fair. Uh, yeah. I, normally there's a stinker in, in every store I go into most of the time. Um, but if there's 50 people in the store and there's one stinker, eh, not so bad, I guess. Uh, yeah, because the group I played with um, in Texas, they we didn't really have too much of a problem with that. Now, in, in, and also in fairness, though, too, you pack a bunch of people into one room. Yeah, you know, you get into a small space, you're all clustered around each other, you're all breathing on each other, you're probably sweating a little bit. Um, Coupled with the ridiculous heat. Yeah, sure. You know, so everybody might be a little bit, but it wasn't, 
I only run and ran into one or two people that just I had to step away from. I, I mean, I've never run into a guy who's like, <coughs> what, was that, what was that character on Charlie Brown who always had the dust cloud around him? Um, I don't remember what his name was, but dirtbag or something. But I've never run into that guy. Like, but I have run into guys that are kind of atypically a little greasy. They clearly don't have the best hygiene, so I'm not entirely yeah. surprised at that. I had a dungeon master in when I used to play Dungeons and Dragons <clears throat> that he had that. It, it was so foul, I I, I gagged. <laughs> it, it was that bad. How long did that game last? <laughs> I tried to stick it out for a few weeks, but yeah. I ended up leaving because he threw a temper tantrum about something, and I just said sure. that that was my first semester as a grad student, and I said, you know what? I've got too many other things I've got to do. I, I, I'm having a hell of a semester right now. I don't need to deal with this this kind of stress, so I just sure. left the game. But did, did you ever tell him it was because he stank? Or <clears throat> I it wasn't it, again. It wasn't necessarily because he stank. It was just because he was acting like a little kid at one point. Okay, so and, not necessarily. But he didn't do himself any favors by not showering. Right. It, like I said, it was so bad. I I, I, I thought I was gonna, I was going to start gagging at one point. Nice. Yeah, I've I've had a couple of people like that, and you, and you want to be nice, so you don't want to be like, dude, when did you shower last? Um, yeah. But you also, yeah, I, I do I do avoid those games when I can. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Fourteen uh, percent said single, i.e., not in a romantic relationship. So to put this in context, what they were saying was fourteen percent of people felt like gamers were not romantically involved. Is that correct? Am I am I reading that right? That's that's the So they're saying that eighty six percent they think that eighty six percent of people are romantically involved? Yeah, or have been or are capable of or what I I guess that's uh, I could not uh, I'm having trouble buying that one. Like I you know not not to not <laughs> not to say that gamers don't date because plenty of gamers are married, have wives, have kids. But it's usually not in their youth. Like, you know, I, I do find a lot of war gamers who I just have a hard time imagining them with a chick or yeah. a dude, as the case may be. Um, like a lot of these guys, like, and a lot of times, it's, and this is nothing, how do I put this? Um, I feel like if you play a war game, some part of you is, I, I've kind of always compared 40K to the, the football of geeks. It's like, you want to be dominant. Like, the notion of the game is you defeat your opponent, you win, you're, you're, you squash him. In some way, it's kind of an ego gratification thing. Y- yes, I really like the game, but I didn't choose to play a game where it wasn't competitive. I could have played something else. I could have played Fruit Ninja, where I'm competing with me. But I, I play a game where I'm, I'm socially dealing with another person. So I feel like a lot of war gamers do have sort of a, a an ego thing going on and, and they get into that later in this thing. Um, but, but I do feel like that, how do I put this? Um, because of that, it's sort of a self centered disposition in my opinion. Like, you know, if, if someone is, is really bent on winning, then they're thinking about themselves before they're thinking about others. And in my experience with relationships, with relationships, you have to be thinking about others, specifically the person you're with. So I guess I feel like this is low. I felt like that, you know, I don't know. What do you think? <clears throat> well, I have, uh, and maybe it's because a lot of my friends are older. Yeah. You know, a lot of them do have, uh, like my buddy in Texas, Fantasy 40K, plays both. Sure. Dwarves, Ravenwing, in case anyone, and Tau, in case anyone's interested. Um, but he has a wife and, and kid. You know, sure. or I've got my friend out in California who 
plays uh, wood elves, flesh terrors, beasts of uh, of chaos. Mm-hmm. He's I don't I don't think he's engaged to her, but he does have a steady girlfriend. So I I really think it's I, I think it could go either way is what I'm trying to say. Okay, I, I don't necessarily. I don't necessarily agree with your premise on yeah, the self the self said. I'm not saying you're entirely wrong. No, it's okay. Right. I mean, I would I would prefer to know your honest opinion about it, whether right. or not. I, I, I think there's something there to it, but I think I think you're over you're overemphasizing it a little bit. Okay, fair enough. I, I think it's it, it's it's the individual. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so we remain a little divided on that one. Um, ideologically reactionary or very conservative, eight uh, percent. So that sounds incredibly complicated. Ideologically reactionary or very conservative. So very conservative, that's nice and simple. They, uh, they're the set-at-home type, I guess. They don't like to stir the water, so to speak. Um, is ideologically reactionary the same thing? <clears throat> yeah, the, what they mean by conservative is politically. Okay. So these are basically, they're, they're not political people. They don't like to get involved. And, and in fact, the next item down... And I guess that's why they distinguished was the next item down is not political or not interested in politics. Right. The, 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 two are di- the two are distinct. Okay. Well, wh- why don't you flush it out a little bit for me because I'm having trouble drawing. The, the premise here that Mr. Cross is going for is that the, the, the two stereotypes he's trying to discuss here are that gamers are, A, either really conservative, mm-hmm. i.e. Republican vote on Repu- – are in favor of Republican policies and things sure. of that sort – and or that we are uninterested in politics. Okay, so I, I see your point. So those are the two premises. Those are the so two. So it, it could have also been sort of skewed as in: Are you more Republican than than whatever than Democrat? I guess, or versus: Are you interested in politics at all? Yes, okay. exactly. So they were eight and three respectively, as in. And this is again, this is very low. So eight percent felt like war gamers were Republicans, so I guess 92% felt like they weren't conservative, or they felt like overall the wargaming community was not conservative, generally. Yeah, just, by the way, just because, you're, just, just because you're conservative doesn't necessarily mean you're a Republican. Yeah, you also enough. have the Liber- Libertarian Party, too. Fair enough, and they, they get into that a little bit later. And then yeah. 3%, they felt like only 3% of wargamers were interested in politics. So they felt like most wargamers were interested in politics, I suppose. You yes. Know, maybe, maybe these questions they were a little less clear on. Maybe maybe it's like, you know, it's a lot easier to say, are you geeky? Yes. Versus, do you think your friends are political? Eh, I don't know. Like, for example, you and I have almost never talked about politics. I've only talked to a few of my gamers' friends about politics, maybe once or twice. Politics is one of those taboo subjects where you kind of, <laughs> you don't really want to breach the topic because, God forbid, you disagree. Uh, yeah. And then it's a whole other thing. And some people are really, really, uh, you know, passionate about their political affiliation. So I tend to avoid that topic the same way I avoid religious topics, like a play. Yeah. I just don't want to talk about it because I don't want to get into a deep water with someone that I like versus, you know, having them think unfavorably. So maybe those questions were so low because people, you know, they just don't talk about it much. Like, you don't really go to a, tea, a tournament and you're like, you know, hey, uh, did you vote? You know, or if yeah. you vote, who do you vote for? Right, yeah, and, and that makes sense to me. Yeah, because you're sense. not there to talk politics; you're there to kick ass <laughs> or get your ass kicked. It just that's, depends. That's true. You know. Okay. Uh, so then he also talked about further down on part two, 
And if anyone's following around, following down the link, I'm, I'm maybe a little, I'm just below the Twitter. So we're talking about he has high levels of education, attainment, and performance. Um, and this was linked uh, above to intelligent and good students. And he kind of breaks it down a little bit, talking about the fact that the 51%. Um, here's an interesting point. He, he, of the 51%, he said that based on a series of questions, a large majority of respondents, i.e. 82%, indicated they were identified as gifted, talented students while in school, um, which is much higher than the national average of 5%. So what we can glean from that is that wargamers as a community are intelligent, smart, and or gifted. We have to be for yeah. what we do. I would, I, would say, I would say we definitely have to be intelligent, for sure. Um, it's not... In, um, Nope. Game is. As a rule of thumb, any, if, if you're playing a game that has 150 pages of rules, <laughs> yes. you must have an intelligent you know, disposition because why, why are you playing that? Why aren't you just playing like, I don't know, whatever the newest video game is on your console otherwise? Um, not that you can't do both. Not to say that yeah. video gamers are dumb because I like video games too. But video games for me are kind of like, they're, they're, I play them when I don't want to think. I play them right. when I just want to be mindlessly entertained. Um. And then religious affiliation, uh, he had a brief comment about that, where he talked about, let's see, when asked about affiliation, Protestant Christianity was the most common response, being 29%. Well, first off, 61% said they weren't religious. So yes. only, 40, only 39% said they were religious, which I would and, agree with. I mean, most yeah. of the time, this is a science fiction game. People are probably scientifically minded, you know. Well, and I'm... I don't mean to start controversy here, but generally speaking, the more educated you are, the less likely you are to be religious. Yeah, I think that's that you you would know better than me, but that sounds right. Um, hence the reason I get in so many debates with Christians when it comes to like when you try to argue, um, <laughs> like when you try to throw science into a religious debate. Oh God, yeah, it's a terrible idea. I've tried many times, and you can't use the words. Like, well, it's just rational, or, well, how do you prove that with someone who, who measures their life in terms of faith? Not to say anything, and let's not dwell on this, but, but this doesn't surprise me at all, that only 60, the 61% say they're not religious. Yeah. Um, and of those who are, the most of them are Protestant Christian. Not a surprise there, since most of the people on the survey were white. You know, us being, you know, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, I'd like to draw a, a, a point, I think, where Mr. Cross kind of made a mistake here in his survey is that he doesn't distinguish clearly between agnosticism and atheism. Um, well, do we want to talk about atheism is you don't believe in God at all. You don't, it's not so much. You don't believe in God. You, you don't, don't believe in, you, you don't believe in any, you don't hold yeah. any sort of religious views. Sure, there's you're right. Exactly. And then agnostic, isn't that where you don't know what you, you don't know if there is a God, but you're not sure. Right. It's agnosticism is that you are, while you're not committed to a specific belief, you're not willing to dismiss uh, religious. Uh, you know, you're not you're you're not willing to completely dismiss it either. Sure. Okay. So you're. I think that's where my wife and I are are at right now. I'm. I define myself as an atheist. She doesn't define herself as agnostic, but when we talk about it, it's very clear she is agnostic. I I'm agnostic with softcore atheism. That's yeah. kind of where I'm at right now. Okay. Um, you know, because Vincent Bugliosi has a good argument in his, his you know, his one of his books that talks about agnosticism, but I won't get into that in this. Yeah, we're going to, and guys, we're just avoiding a religious affiliation 
for the most part, because we don't want to stir the water too much. If we want to talk about, I, I could see us doing a podcast about religion in 40K. I think that would be interesting. But yes. It's not, it's not the subject of this podcast. And, and to be fair, in a game where there are demons and gods walking around, and there are shards of gods and old gods and new gods and, you know, and, and god rivalries, yeah. you know, you have to sort of suspend your disbelief a little bit. So it, it is a little difficult for me to see, like, let's call it a Protestant Christian jumping into this game. And, you know, I, I, I guess, I don't know, I, I, I can understand why the religious affiliation is low. You know, this is not a game for people who define themselves as Christian for the most part. I would even venture to say the 29% are kind of soft Christian. Like, they go, like, Easter and Christmas, like those guys. Yeah. Uh, there was there was a funny post I saw on the internet once. Uh, that There was this guy who's a regular on this message board I frequent, and he said that he had a, I think he was a minister. Yeah. Was he a 40K he was, player? He was a 40K player. Guess what army he played? Demons? Did he really? Like Chaos Marines. Oh, that's funny. And he did it just because part of it, just to shock people. (laughs) Praise be to the Lord. I challenge you. (laughs) Blood for the blood god. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Um, Okay, so that was religious. uh, Geographic location. Um, 24% in the Midwest. This is actually very evenly split. Uh, So 24 in the Midwest, 23% in the Far West. The south and the north, northeast were 20 and, 20 and 19% respectively. Um, and international travel was about the same. 22% of respondents indicated that they had visited a few countries. So pretty evenly split. So 40K, 40K everywhere is the, is the lesson here, um, I think. There's, they're, they're all over. Like, it's not, they're, they're necessarily more prevalent in area, other areas. I suppose we could glean that there's more 40K players in the Midwest than anywhere. Maybe that's because they're bored. Like, they don't have hey, as man. much to do. I'm it just, gets cold up here. <laughs> so on the cold winter nights, what do you do? You play 40K. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm a little surprised that Out West has such a high prevalence, although I see, you know, so I, I do see a lot of the major cons being Out West. But then again, some are, like Adepticon, the biggest con there is, is in Chicago. Right. Uh, definitely Midwest, I would say. Yeah. Uh, or maybe That's, north, midwest, I guess. Chicago is only three hours away from where I'm at. Right. So, I mean, you know, yeah. um, and, and part of this is because the organizers are there. But also when you, you know, I, I guess when you think about it, a, a venture that big had to have support. So they had to have passionate people in that area. Right. Um, okay. So let's move on to part three if for our home guests that are following along. Um, and part three, sorry, my browser is a little slow, uh, war games and the armies we play. Okay. This is fun. This is something I was very much interested in. So, um, this part of the survey was pretty bare bones. What armies do you play? Um, not entirely, or what games do you play? What armies do you play? Not entirely surprising. Um, of the people polled, um, the biggest number was 40K. Over 1,800 people of those polled played 40K. Yeah. With the second next biggest being uh, Fantasy, um, with Fantasy clocking in at almost 1,000, around 964. Uh, still about half of what 40K is, a little over half, but, but not, not nearly as high. So 77% of respondents uh, played 40K. So that's quite yeah. a bit. Uh, and then the other games, they kind of had laid out in sort of a slinking scale. Um, uh, top among the last of the games was War Machine Hordes, came in at around 500 or so. 
Uh, and then everything else is kind of split evenly between like Malifaux, Necromunda, um, what you might expect, Blood Bowl. And then way down the list, if you kept following it, um, was Epic 40,000, which is you know commonly referred to as Epic. And then yeah. um, Dystopian Wars, which I was a little surprised at Dystopian Wars because I, I kind of felt like Dystopian Wars has drawn quite a gathering, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing a lot of good things about Dystopian Wars. So that was a little surprising. Um, do you feel like this is pretty much pretty much spot on? Yeah, this doesn't surprise me at all. Um, so in that middle category, they've got a lot of stuff linked in there. Mordheim, Necromunda, Flames of War, Battle. Tech, uh, Blood Bowl. A lot of these games are sort of 40k derivative. Mordheim, Necromunda, Blood Bowl. All of those are derivative of the 40k intellectual, not 40k, but of the Games Workshop intellectual property, Battlefleet Gothic. It, 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 you know, so they kind of, I wish they had thrown in something like Infinity. Um, yeah. Or they got Malifaux in there, but they didn't throw in what's that other one? Um, well, there's a lot of different ones, like Helderado. I would have liked to have seen that in there. Or X-Wing. Uh, X-Wing, yeah, but maybe this was I don't know. Well, this this did come out last November. I don't think X-Wing was out. I don't think it was out at that time. If it was, it wasn't big. Like, it's gotten big in the last six months. Um, Yeah. So, uh, then they go into army choices. uh, 40k armies collected. Um, Big surprise here. 62% space marines. You know what this survey taught me? Why am I not painting more space marines? I think my sales would be better if I just... If I just did Space Marines. I mean, 62% of listeners or people who took a survey play them. Um, my biggest problem with Space Marines, from my point of view, is that I don't like building them as much because they're, they're less fun to build. Like, I can have more fun building a Chaos Demon Prince where I can really, really mess with them and play with them or an Orc tank than I can a Space Marine. With a Space Marine, it's just a technical skill. It's you clip them off the sprues, you clean the lines, you glue them together. Maybe you give them a dynamic base or something, but... You know, it's just not that interesting. That might be something you might want to figure out: is what could you do to, to individualize marines a little bit? To individualize the marine, yeah, to to give them an extra flair. There are a few chapters I'm interested in doing, but they're all not surprisingly they're 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 tra- they're chapters that require a lot of kit bashing. Like I really want to do a Death Watch army because I really love the idea of a chapter of all these different just. Just a, a kaleidoscope of color. Just different, you know, not necessarily color, but just all these different... I, I want to mix up my bits. I want to have some Dark Angels bits. I want to have some Space Wolf bits. Um, and on the same page, I really want to do um, uh, an army of... Um, what are the Xenos Hunters called? Um, they had... They had this this Ultramarine... It wasn't really an Ultramarine thing. They called them, like, Alien Hunters. For, for a few years there, there was talk about a codex that never really came to fruition. Um... But it was it was kind of going to be um, like veterans of the tyrannic wars. I think they had a, a pewter model yeah. they put out there. I really like that idea. I like the idea of converting an army lo- that's just an army of Xenos hunters. Um, but yeah, you know, a lot of people who do marine armies and they want to individualize them do stuff like 30k armies or Adeptus Arbites or um, what do they call those guys? The uh, the guards of the palace with the big heads and the big oh the custodies yeah the custodies Adeptus custodies those are a really popular one uh, but even those we've seen those a lot so it's yeah it's nothing new um, chaos space marines and imperial guard were pretty evenly tied at forty nine percent forty eight percent orcs at thirty seven uh, orcs seems a little high I don't play that many orc players um, Eldar comes in right below that Tyrion is below that at thirty two percent Tau Blood Angels Grey Knights, Dark Elder, all finished in the very high 20s. Necrons just below them at 25. 
And then farther down the list, Space Wolves only in 25%, pretty far down there. Chaos Demons 24, Sisters 17, and then Other 12. What is Other? Like, I guess I don't. Like Templars? I well, this is a mistake that, that he made in his survey because he did not differentiate. He just said Space Marines when he needed to add Dark Angels. And yeah, that's another good question. Like you know, because I, I think why it was separate blood angels. I, I think I think it was a general. I think it was a genuine oversight. And yeah. when you do research like this, it happens. Yeah, sure. Makes you know, sense. I mean, I've never done surveys before because that's not what I studied in college. Sure. Um, but you know, like when I wrote my master's thesis, there are things I'm positive that I overlooked. In fact, I'm 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 certain of it. And that's just the nature. When you start doing these big projects, you will overlook something. And I think this is where Mr. Cross made his, his mistake, overlooking. Makes sense. Because uh-huh. there there is a difference between Dark Angel, the Dark Angels, and the Space Marine, the vanilla Space Marines. Well, for me, I mean, with considering Dark Angels are the newer army, I, I would want to see that. I would want to see, like, does that... And maybe he was worried it would skew it, like because it would have like new army on the block syndrome. But because this is a snapshot in time, it's hard to say. Like, you know, um, maybe they're lumped in with regular space marines, like you said. Yeah, um, that that would be the thing. That may, that would be what the, I'm thinking. Maybe the solution there should have been to lump in all the space marines together, like the Blood Angels too. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, fantasy. Uh, fantasy was much more evenly. Was not as as. I feel like it was a much smaller differentiation. It was an easier to follow. Warriors of Chaos came in top at 32%. Um, Orcs and Goblins at 31%. Empire at 30 High Elves at 30 Bretonians and Vampire Counts and Dwarves all tied at 27%. Then Skaven, Lizardmen. And it goes down the list. Dark Elves, Demons, Wood Elves, Beastmen, Ogre Kingdoms, Tomb Kings. What I'm seeing on this list is the older armies are at the bottom. Yeah. Um, Beastmen, Wood Elves... Tomb Kings, I feel like, are a little bit older too. Tomb Kings uh, are new, are they? Well, yeah, they they got a book. They, they got a book not too long ago. They got a book in 2010. Oh, okay, so not too old. Beastmen have not had a new book in a while. Wood Elves, I don't think have had a new book in a while. Uh, Demons got a new book about two yeah. years. Demons uh, got a re-release about a year or two ago. Uh, Demons actually, uh, actually, the Demons just got an update this year. Yeah. So um, and Beastmen also are relatively new. Okay. The, the the new eighth edition codices, excuse me, army books are okay. So I'm just waiting. Beastmen, Tomb Kings, <laughs> High Elves, Lizardmen. Uh, did I say Ogre Kingdoms? Uh, no, but now you are. Uh, orcs and Goblins. Okay. Those are the ones that I know of off the top of my head. I'm probably forgetting something. So, well, listeners, when you when you comment on Facebook, don't rip me up too hard. So that's interesting because some of the armies you just rattled off are at the top and some of them are way at the bottom. Um, so I don't know what that means exactly. I don't know if that means that some of the newer armies just aren't as popular as some of the classic armies, I guess. Um, but because I'm not, I'm not a big fantasy, I'm not a fantasy player, it's hard for me to know. Like, do you feel like in your experience this, this is accurate? Like the games you've played over the last year or two, do you feel like, you know... 32% were Chaos? I didn't really play against too many Chaos players back in, uh, 
back in the day. Um, well, the top the top three armies are Chaos, Goblins, and Empire. Did you play against any of them in the last year? I played against Empire. I played against one Orcs and Goblins player, but I knew yeah. two High Elf players. Yeah, see, that's the thing, is that our groups oftentimes dictate who we play. Um, right. Like, I've played a lot of Dark Elder the last year because Spence picked up a Dark Elder army. Um, so I've, I've got a lot of experience losing to Dark Eldar. <laughs> um, and he has a Grey Knight army, and now I'm painting up his Tau army. So there you are. Yeah. Okay, uh, part four dips into political preferences, probably the most sensitive area of the survey, other than maybe religion. Um, okay, so they had ideological classification, i.e. how you... And like you said earlier, this is separate than your party affiliation. This is more like your outlook on life, I guess. Yes. So um, highest percentage here was liberals at 21%, followed very closely by conservatives and libertarians at 20%. Um, you seem to be a little more politically minded than I do. Do you want to sort of differentiate what these are, like liberal versus libertarian? Uh, libertarian Libertarianism is the idea of small government. Okay. Uh, what is liberal, by contrast? Liberal is more about government-run socialism, not more more restrictions on on capitalism. Sure. Uh, also, they tend to encompass the environmental movement. Okay. Uh, they tend to be less religiously oriented, more about uh, equal rights, uh, more. Ab- more about marriage equality, and I don't mean just between a man and a I mean, but also supporting of gay rights. Like and, homosexuals, yeah. Okay. Right. So that that's what you tend to be. The the liberal side tends to be the more progressive. The yeah, more, that's, yeah, that's definitely where I identify. Uh, but, but they do identify progressive as being a different category. Then they have socialist at 8% and other at 14%. Um. Socialist always makes me laugh a little bit because when I was reading about socialism in school, I was like, "This is a great idea. Why aren't we socialist?" And you know, as as if you ever say that out loud, like you get these really bad looks, um, yeah. Because people, you know, identify socialism with so many negative things. I do think the idea of socialism is pretty cool. Like, I think it's a really neat idea. The problem is our society is not set up to reward socialism. Our society no, is kind not. of set up to re- like capitalism is the way we went. Um, and, and I always laugh because I, I watch movies like um, I watched Star Trek In a Darkness the other day, and I was thinking about this in, in, in contrast to socialism in this world where they live in where they never talk about stuff like bills or debts or anything. People just go to these weird bars and drink weird drinks and they just join the Federation and there's no like, you know, it's not like Kirk is behind on his mortgage or anything. It, it, it feels like a socialist society. It feels like a for the greater good Taoish group. Yes. Um, but I just feel like, as a as a world, we just didn't go that way. Like we decided that, like if you strike oil, it's yours. Um, we reward people for, in theory, being hard workers. And yes, you know there are some group, there are some things that are like group good, but they tend to be like volunteer organizations. They don't tend to be the norm. Um, so I don't know. Just just an observation, not necessarily. Anything. Yeah, I, I tend to be one of those people that I, I wouldn't have a problem with a little more socialism in our yeah, country. Yeah, that's kind of where I, I lean. Uh, okay, party affiliation. Democrats, 31%. Uh, I suppose way above the other two. Independents at 23%, Republican at 22%. None at 19%. Uh, 
No surprise there. And yeah. other party, 5%. I guess other party is like, what was Ross Perot's party? He, that, he was an independent, but when they say other, they mean like libertarian, green, the, oh, green, the green party, uh, those things, things like that. Um, I, I, am, I am comfortable enough to say I am a Democrat, so I do identify with Democrats. Um, I, 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 tend to be, I tend to err on the side of change is good and yeah. should progressively move forward. And so that's not a real surprise that 31% are in that category. 23% are independent. Yeah. Not really a surprise there, I guess. Um, the independent well, speakers are always sort of those guys on the outskirts. Um, it'll be interesting yeah. when we finally have a president who is an independent. That'll be, that'll be a day. You, you will be happy to know that for the first time in my life, this past election, I voted straight Democrat. Oh, yeah? Nice. Okay, so moving on. Um, uh, Mr. Cross went into two further instruments were used to measure political beliefs, as he says. The first was a conservative versus liberal pol- policy index, or what he abbreviates as CPI. Um, scores range from blah, blah, blah. Uh, okay, here we go. More than 71% of survey respondents uh, represented a CPI score of zero or less. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I have no idea what this is all about. Well, they... I find I found the, the way they measured this to be a little interesting. A negative score indicated more liberal is liberal idea ideology. God, I couldn't spit that out. Whereas a positive score lent toward more conservatism. So it's interesting that a lot of these are in the zero area because that kind of tells me that we, collectively speaking, can go any way. We're right in the middle, which kind of reflects a general you know the the general idea that we as a community are all over the place one of these i was reading and i don't know if it's this one or not but one of these it was it was reading it was he was talking about um sort of hierarchy and whether or not you were in favor of hierarchy versus whether or not you were in favor of kind of I guess the opposite of that would be anarchy but anarchy is really the wrong word well um, what it, what it really is it's called the social dominance hierarchy and the more what what that's saying is that you're more in favor of a specific social hierarchy it's not about higher hierarchism versus anarchism it's about your feelings uh your viewpoint on you know acceptable conventional uh social norms and the like like so, for example if you're higher on this scale you tend would tend to be more against the L- LBGT rights, or you would tend to be more religious, you know, th- things of that nature. And what did the survey, what were the findings of that? Well, the, as I said, the, the, what I'm getting is that we're all over the place. Okay, I see. You know, you and I are more disinclined toward traditional, for, yes. you know, if, I, if I've read you right. Yes, I am. I, yeah, I'm, you know. I'm I'm very much like I'm an advocate for gay rights. I'm an adv- advocate of, of of choice. I'm an advocate of yeah. Right. Uh, you and I tend to lean that way, but whereas we might like I have a I have a friend that is not that way. You know that he is more in favor of traditional marriage and blah blah blah. Right, and that's you know that obviously hasn't stopped us from being friends because we've been friends for almost twenty years, which makes me feel old saying that, but <laughs> well you know okay. so that's interesting. It was so by that it's all over the place, it just simply means that yeah. we all we, we have different beliefs and they're not all right. We're representative of all 
beliefs the, the, that that's where we are as a community. We encompass all of the whole spectrum, I think, is, is what this is saying. He did make a point on here, which was interesting now that we've sort of broken down what SDO is. And, and I found a reference to a book that he used um, or, or a link, and I'll include that in the show notes as well. Um, but he sort of listed several of the games, and he listed kind of like uh, the SDO scores relative to the percentage of people that play. Like, yeah. for example, like he had like Warhammer Fantasy being 77% played. The average SDO score was like 2.63 for people that played versus 2.58 for people that didn't play. Um, and then, and so on and so forth. And then he made a point that in the historical war games, things like Flames of War, Bolt Action, uh, Hail Caesar, those sorts of games. Well, not Hail Caesar, but Pike and Shoat. Um, these games, which are consider, considered historical, like reenaction games, like Axis and Allies, yeah. uh, the SDO score was higher than average. It was much higher than, than anything else they had seen, um, it, at least in terms of what they were taking on the survey. It's yeah. Not, you know, like the high would be eight. These were more like 2.78, but these were higher than the regular war game stuff. That kind of, I don't know what, as a historian, I don't know what to say to that. Yeah, that's interesting. So people you know, who like history, historical games tend to like hierarchy better, I guess? Is that what that um, means? That would be a, a fair interpretation. Okay. I, as I said, I, I mean, I don't play any of those games, so maybe maybe it has to do with just the people that enjoy those games, because I prefer fantasy and science fiction. Yeah, and that's the thing, is I don't really, I don't really know a lot, a lot of historical war gamers. Like, I have a friend, Steve, who plays Axis and Allies, but we've never really talked politics so it's hard for me to say like what what it is i i guess the question would be is it just is it just a sign of the times like are the people that play historical war games an older generation and they remember the thing way things were and because of that they kind of identify with a society that's more hierarchical and less loosey-goosey as it is today i guess maybe i i don't know that maybe i'm extrapolating here but that might be a, a an interesting um research project um well not not for me but for well, no i meant for any any sociologist sure. or social yeah. worker type out there okay um all right so that's that's the basics of the survey um, yeah do you have any sort of last closing thoughts do you think it was a worthwhile do you think it was worthwhile for him to do this do you think that the community benefited or do you think it more shine a light on us in a negative way i think it's a good start it's like any scholarly endeavor that when you start something like this, it, it's a beginning and that you need to take up the slack where, for instance, one of the things that he should do or somebody that's following in his footsteps ought to do is to look at a wider area or survey of war gamers. You know, let's say include United States and Europe. Mm-hmm. And see what what happens with the results there. Obviously, you're going to have to change the dynamics in, of the survey, but it, I think it would be worthwhile to uh, to investigate that. And you know, one of the things you brought up just now was that why are historical war gamers why do they lean more toward conservatism? That that would be a very worthwhile scholarly endeavor, I think. So this survey does what any good piece of scholarship does, it opens up 
you know, possibilities for research, you know, for additional research and for additional knowledge, because, of course, not to be a pompous ass here, but that's the whole point of scholarship is to expand our knowledge base. Sort of like you don't get more answers, you get more questions, and you just ask right. better questions. It's the, it's the epistem- epistemological <laughs> dilemma here to throw there's, – there's no other word for it. I, I can't think I of didn't know that word existed. I'm not, it means, I'm not for sure. I think you just cursed me in like a different language. Epistemology something. is the, the nature of knowledge. Okay. And there's that really is, no un, – unfortunately, there's no other word for it. I don't like to throw around thir- you know, $50 words, but like I said, there's no other word for it. I, and, I, I will have to believe you because I have never used that in my vernacular. But the, the, the point I'm trying to make here is that the more you learn, the less you realize you know. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Absolutely. I stand on the shores of a vast ocean of knowledge, barely right. dipping my toes. And, yes, and that's, that's exactly the point that I'm trying to make here. Is, yeah. and, and that was a lesson I had to learn fast when I was in grad school. Yeah, fair enough. So, it's a humble the, lesson, I think. Yes, it is. Um, but some other things I'd like to mention too is that I'd love to know what the wargamer dynamic is like outside of the West. Do they play Warhammer 40k or Fantasy in Japan, Israel? You know, do, do, you know, do they play it in the Middle East? Uh, I know that there are, are people that follow, maybe not necessarily the war game, but they follow the hobby in Malaysia. Yeah. You know, or another big question, because I India is part. Sorry, I don't think they play it as much uh, outside of Europe and and America. Because in my experience, when I sell wargaming stuff, like when I when yeah. I build stuff and sell it, yeah. my orders predominantly go to America. With about about half of them go to America, about half of them went to Europe. But of the European countries I shipped to, most of the time it was England. With a, with a fair smattering of Canada, right? But like, I only shipped to like Brazil a couple times. Brazil surprisingly apparently has a fairly a fairly active wargaming community. Yes, I, I shipped to them a couple times. Australia has a pretty good wargaming community, I think. Um, yes, they do. But like, I only shipped to Japan like twice in like five years. E- um, ever got any orders to India? I don't think I have. Okay. No, not that I remember. Because I, I'm only bringing this up because I have so many friends from that part of the world. Yeah. And I've always wondered, and it doesn't even have to be 40K or fantasy, but is there a wargaming community over there? Good question. You know, and that was something else, too, that, you know, that all these stereotypes that we supposedly have as gamers, as wargamers, if you get somebody that comes from that part of the world, uh, they're not familiar with the stereotypes. True. Um, they have a whole different set of cultural imperatives and cultural prejudices that they bring with them. But fortunately for you know myself, uh, the need to kind of be wary or you know the 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 stereotypes that people have toward war gamers that's not one of the things that they brought with them because they hadn't even heard of tabletop wargaming, let alone. Warhammer 40k or Fantasy or Dungeons and Dragons, not that that's a tabletop war game, but, you know, they, they hadn't even heard of this type of community. Sure. You know, and it's it's just it very... Was just, it was very foreign to them, I guess. Right. It was extremely yeah. foreign, and therefore, for example, I, ha- I have a very close friend of mine that she felt no compunction 
in coming over to sit down and watch my friend Jared and I play a game of fantasy. Most women over here kind of stay away from that stuff. Yeah, I, I suppose over here, like you, you, when you sort of mentioned the idea of, um, I don't know what's the right word, Maybe women over here want to stay away from it because they don't understand it and they fear it, whereas right. maybe maybe over there people are just more curious about it. Like right. They don't know that there's a taboo associated with geek, so yes. because they don't know that, they're they're just eager to sort of learn or to approach it. I mean, I, I told her what I did. I, t- I told my friend what I did. Her name is uh, – well, I won't, I'm not going to give out her name right now, but yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, what the hell. I mean, Navisha knew what, what, what I did, but she'd never seen it before, and – she came over and watched my friend and I play it, and I had a bet with with my friend Jared. I said, "I bet she only stays for one round or for one one turn." You know, by 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 the end of the bottom of turn one, she'll be out of here. Sure. How long did she stay? She stayed through the whole game. Nice. Fantasy now, is not a short game. Here is the funny part. Halfway through the game, she started asking questions like, well, what's the difference between a terror test and a panic test? Or, oh, she was asking how, specific questions. Yeah. How does – explain to me how this turn structure works. That's interesting. So well, for her, was it more of a, 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 a pursuit of like just interest or was it did – she, did she leave the game table saying, I'm going to start this army? Or like, she – it's kind of a pity. I don't think she would have ever started an army of her own. Uh, but, you know, she did – Express some interest in learning how to play. Sure. And that blew our minds, needless to say, because again, there's the stigma, the, the, this stigma might not, be, might not be the right word, but you know, you don't associate war games with women. No, we don't. And we, we've seen that from the survey. <laughs> right. And, and yet you hear you have this, you know, you have, have this lady, you know, the, this sweet natured lady who comes over and not only sticks around through the whole game, but you know, expresses some interest in at least learning a little more about it. Maybe, she, maybe she was the three percent. Yeah, <laughs> you know, maybe that's you know, what it was. That's her. <laughs> so, and that's and that's she's the one that says that always is always telling me not to generalize. So anyway, I just thought I'd make that point that it's just kind of interesting how different parts of you know different ethnic backgrounds or different cultural backgrounds, you know, don't look at things the, the same way we do, and it might be interesting to, to explore that. Yeah. So I, I would not – I don't want to – you know, clearly you have a, a – you know, how do I put this? Um, even though we've spent the last 90 minutes or so breaking this yeah. down, I, I don't want to, you know, take away from the fact that what Mr. Cross did I think was very cool. I think it was very interesting. It was very helpful. Yes. And, and I think that what he did was, was – was was you know for lack of a better word nice it was great to see yes. some of what we expected put out there and some of the opinions shattered and from yes. from my point of view it also helps in terms of like marketing like i can just yes. see like oh this is what people are playing this is what i should be maybe i should be doing more of this yes so and i agree all around so i, I totally agree nice. with you cool um so thank you mr cross for putting that together for us and giving us something to talk about um okay so we will move on to uh, things less politically minded, and we'll move on to things more gameplay oriented, and we'll do our rules of engagement. So last week we did a pop quiz um, involving um, uh, chapters and that sort of thing, and this week I wanted to go back more to rules. I, I think I tend to like the rules questions better because I am not as fluffy a player as you are. Yeah. Um, I, I only like fluff as it pertains to my modeling. Like I don't, 
Like, it, you know, when someone sends me, like, they, they're like, I want you to build, and they name a character. And I don't know who that is, because I didn't yeah. read the book. So I have to go and look it up. Thank God for 40Kopedia, or whatever it's called, um, one of those 40K sites out there. But um, So I tend to like the rules questions. Um, usually these come up because they come up in game. And, you know, it always surprises me when I when something when something really comes across as like, wow, that's exactly the opposite of what I expected. I feel like most of the time the game it's fairly intuitive. Once you get the basics down, you can kind of see where the designers are going with something. Right. Um, but occasionally a situation comes up and I'm like, I don't really know. So Justin, your pop quiz this week is simply put with a squad in a vehicle. If a squad is joined by a character, and this is probably specific to a transport, i.e. a dedicated transport. Can the squad disembark, but the special character remain or vice versa? Like does the squad and the character have to disembark together? Um, and as with you last week, or the last episode, I did not look this up Good. In, in the interest of fairness. My guess would be that if the squad disembarks, with that, uh, you could leave the character, but of course the character is detached and would remain inside the transport. That would be my guess. You would have guessed correct, actually. And it really blew me away. We got into a game a couple weeks ago where a character was joined to a a unit in a squad. So they were in the vehicle together. And then he got the squad out of the car, or the Rhino, or whatever it was. And he left his character in there. And I was like, I don't think you can do that. I think they have to embark together. They're a squad. And he was like, why? Why do they have to stay together? Um, and, And it was one of those things that, we really had to dig into how dedicated transports work and how characters join units. And and it's really, it's fairly simple. Characters can, for lack of a better word, do whatever they want. They can join a squad when they want to. They can leave a squad. Now it has to happen during you generally during the movement phase, but because the squad disembarks during the movement phase, it's, it's fair game. Yeah. Um, And this is one of those neat things that where you can actually, I never really thought about this tactically before until then I was like, I could, I could put guys in a car or in, in, in a transport, drive the transport up, and I can drop people off. You know, I can just drop them off at the pool and then move my squad over to somewhere else. And I, I felt like it opened up a level of tactical flexibility I was not really thinking about before, um, which is always really cool. Yeah. So this is one of those nice instances of the game where it opened it up in a way that I, I wasn't expected for, and it was a pleasant surprise. Anytime I'm allowed more choices, I'm always happy about it. Yeah. And, and I drew this conclusion based on what happens if you in, if you have an unembarked squad in, say, a Rhino or a Razorback, and if you move that squad away from a character, the character automatically detaches. Vice versa, if you move the character out of coherency with the squad, he detaches. Right. Which is effectively what you're doing when you in, in disembark the squad. Right. Um, you're, moving, you're moving the unit out of coherency with the character. Dedicated transports are one of those areas for me that was always a little fuzzy um, because I was always like, it's one of those questions that comes up in game a lot. Like if you shoot at a unit, can your shots spill over? Can, you know, if if your dedicated transport shoots at one thing, can your squad shoot at another? And the reason this gets confusing is simply because generally you buy them together. You buy a transport for a squad. So your instinct is there together. But you really have to think of a dedicated transport as just simply being a vehicle that's not part of the force organization chart. It's right. separate. It's it's different. It's just not there. It's it, it's it's a tool. Yes. It, it's it, that's it. It's so your squad is not beho- beholden to it really. Right. You buy it, but like I've seen plenty of people 
never transport their squad in them. Right. Like they, they get them and then they're just like, great, I have another truck or whatever. Um, and they'll, they'll use it to transport other units. That, There's you know. some shenanigans you can do with drop pods and squads like that. I mean, like if you wanted to put a locator beacon on a drop pod and drop it behind the enemy lines and you don't put a squad in there. That's awesome. I think that's know. really outside the box thinking. Yeah. Um, and in fact, in that game I was playing in the 40K video game, there's all these drop pods that are dropped around throughout the world, and they use them as, as a means to get you special equipment. Right. Uh, there's never a time where you get like reinforcements. It's always like there's a drop pod and you can pick up a melt again. And it's a convenient means in the game, but it's kind of supported, I feel like. Yeah. Um, plenty of drop pods are like, you know, Deathwind drop pods where they just drop down and they just, their entire thing is they just unleash a fury of like missiles or bolter fire or whatever. Wasn't there an old drop pod, a Forge World um, model? I believe that it was a drop pod with a bunch of twin linked assault cannons in it. Yeah, it's the, it's that. They I don't remember if they called it the Deathwind or not. Um, I might be thinking of the missile launcher, but yeah, they do have one that basically you drop it down and it just has a lot of bolters in it. Basically, that would be hilarious to yeah, do that to somebody. Pretty, pretty cool. I think it's fun. <laughs> um, Okay, so that's our rules rules for the week. So if you have special characters, be aware that uh, they can go where they want. That's their car. Um, okay, so for precise shot this week, uh, and I was a little on the fence about this because, you know, I, I've I've done a lot of research into other miniature painting services and other other assembly services, and my reasoning for that is is fairly straightforward. I want to see who my competition is. Like I want yeah. to know what they're charging, why they're charging, and how much they're charging. And in my experience, a lot of people, their prices are are all over the board. You can kind of create a general. And we, and we can have a podcast where we talk about that too. But you can kind of have a general idea of what, what about people charge, what most people charge. Um, uh, so occasionally when you come across someone whose rates are way above that or way below that, it kind of makes me go, this is interesting. This is kind of different. Um, when they're way above it, I kind of assume that they're really good at what they do or they have an overinflated sense of what they do. Sometimes yes. it's true. Sometimes they can back it up. Sometimes they're just amazing. Um, but in, in this particular case, I, I felt like this guy is so far outside of my area where I'm, I'm competing. I, I just didn't feel like it was a problem to sort of give him a shout out. Uh, yeah. so this, uh, this is a miniature company called dark materials miniatures. And so for this precise shot where we highlight something specific, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of talk about him very briefly. Uh, so it's run by this guy called Fraser Hepburn and Fraser is, uh, uh, as a miniature enthusiast and hobbyist, he was out of the hobby for a while and then he got back into it. Um, and then after his hiatus, he sort of jumped back into the commission painting ring. I don't know why he jumped out of the hobby for a while. I presume it was something like most of us go through with like life or work or kids or whatever. Yeah. But for whatever reason, uh, he is jumping back in now. Uh, he's, he's not a bad painter. Uh, I like his work a lot. I, I, he's not the best painter I've ever seen, but for a commission artist, he's, he's fine. He's absolutely fine. He gives you a, a high quality, what I would call a high quality tabletop standard. It's better than tabletop. It's probably better than most people can paint. Um, yeah. what, what amazed me about him is that his prices were so low. Like I consider myself to be a very cheap painter. Like I have different rates available so that people can benefit from like if you have a low budget no budget you know I, I try to find a way to make your budget work yeah uh and and my prices are are kind of kind of obscenely low um in some cases which surprises me that i don't get more business for people that just are like i want you to paint up 100 termagants but you know they want to pay two dollars a piece 
you know, which most of the time, most commission services would be like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Um, and we have a rate developed to do that. It's, it's far less detailed. But what interested me was Mr. Was, was, was Fraser's rates at Dark Material Miniatures are really cheap. Like he's basically charging retail. Um, so if you buy a box of orcs for about 30 bucks, he charges you about 30 bucks. Um, wow. It's not exact. It, it, it's not a precise science. Like every quote is a little different. Um, and, and he kind of bases it based more on a case by case basis. Right. Um, and the, I asked him, I just was, I was just honest. I was like, Frazier, how can you afford to do that and stay in business? I was like, because when I do it, I'm, I'm doing it with the idea that it's going to be volume. Like I may be paying, you may be paying me $3 to paint a space Marine, but I'm painting 50 of them. So right. I'm making it up in, in mass amounts. He doesn't have a minimum order. So, you know, yeah. My thought was, how, how did you do it? And, and I, I asked him about it, and he was just simply like, look, I'm rebuilding my portfolio. And because oh. he, he wants to have something to put in his portfolio, for me, I understand that completely. My portfolio is my work. It shows all of my work, the history of my work. Um, so this is a good time. That's why I wanted to do this precise shot on him this week, because this is a good time uh, to get involved. If you're looking for a commission artist and you don't have a lot of money, he is rebuilding his portfolio, will be for the foreseeable future. And while he's doing that, you can take advantage of his rates. And everybody wins. He gets something for his portfolio. You get miniatures painted for very cheap. Um, the only caveat, I think, is that he is a UK-based company. Yeah. So you do have to either send him stuff, and then there's tariffs. And if there are tariffs associated with it, you'll have to pay them, he says, which is fair. Uh, or the other option is, if you are interested, just have him buy the models for you at cost, and then he'll assemble them and mail them to you wherever you are. Um, and his shipping rates, I mean, he's a fair guy. He wasn't trying to, like, cut me uh, cut me down or anything. So I just decided to throw him a bone, and I asked him to paint up a squad at Orcs for me. So nice. he's working on that right now. Not because I play Orcs, but just because I, I really like Orcs. And yeah. I know I can get the money back for them just by turning them around on eBay and selling them because his painting's not half bad, and he's not charging me very much. So it helps him out. It helps me out. I'll break even maybe. So everybody kind of wins. Um, Worth looking into. Yeah, for sure. So there's going to be a link down there. And while he's rebuilding his, his, his website or his blog site, you know, if you're interested in hiring a commission artist, you should hire me. But <laughs> if you don't hire me, you should talk to him because he's... Yeah. Um, okay. So we'll do a, a quick Overwatch. Um, Overwatch is a segment where we talk about rumors and what's going on in the rumor mill. And the big rumor right now is the Space Marine Codex, I have to say. Yes, the Adeptus Astartes. Coming up, uh, have they predicted when it's coming up? Fall, I guess, in the next couple of months? September, holy crap, so next month. Um, Justin, how big is your chapter now? Like, I know you're building a chapter of, I guess, Dark Angels. How big has that gotten? Uh, I have one battle company, for sure. Okay, so that's 100 miniatures. 100 miniatures, not including command staff. That's the command squad, you know, the, the two veteran bodyguards, the apothecary, the champion, the standard bearer, the captain. You know, I have the tech marine to go with it, a librarian, a chaplain. Um, I have plenty of vehicles to go with it. So clearly you're a marine, you're a marine player. Yeah. I also am in the process of constructing a Deathwing company. And nice. I'm getting closer and closer to realizing that. Are you excited about the Space Marine Codex coming out? Because yes. you, you identify yourself as a Dark Angel player? Because you can get you get to use some of their stuff, too. 
Yeah, there, I have mixed feelings about this because what happened in 2006 is we, Dark Angels players, got a book. Then the 5th edition rules came out. And the vanilla Marine players got a book. And none of that stuff carried over to the Dark Angels until yeah. Games Workshop finally got a clue and FAQ uh, the the biggest upset or one of the biggest upsets for us was that our thunder hammer or excuse me our storm shields and their storm shields were completely different yeah um so i'm a little wary of this new marine book because i'm wondering okay how are we going to get screwed this time i see so now to be fair do you distinguish that in terms of like so here's my, here's my here's my argument, and I'm, I'm not necessarily sure. I, I um, let me let me just lay it out. So people oftentimes argue the point that like your army gets this for cheaper than my army gets this for. Like I get this item, which is effectively the same as your item. Let's call it doesn't matter. Candy cane. I get a yeah. candy cane for thirty points. You get it for forty points. Mine is ten points cheaper, and they do the same thing. Here's the problem with that argument, is that I feel like different armies should have access to different things for different points. Because I feel like an army that specializes, let's say, in psychics, should have better psychic powers than other armies. Right. And should have them for cheaper, because that's what they do. And in terms of game balance, the way they balance that out is they make the rules accordingly. Like, alright, maybe you do have the best psychers in the game, but maybe you're also frail, like you're weak or something, or maybe your armor sucks, you know? Um, or maybe your psychers tend to blow up. Like, orcs have some really cool psychic powers, but their weird boys tend to blow up. Um, and I think that's kind of the balancing act there. So when you say something like, for example, the storm shields are different, do you feel like there's any world where that would be okay? Or is not, it just not really? No, not really, because... Okay. Are you of the space marines or space marines or space marines? Yeah, that's what I would say. And I would even go so far as to say that, and I'm about to commit heresy here, but that there really should only be one space marine book with a number of various rules uh, expansions, you know, little mini codices. The supplementals. Yeah, they're doing those. They're starting those now. I mean, we're on a second one now. Which would accommodate things like, okay, you want to play Dark Angels? Well, here are some rules to accommodate that. The rumor is the first supplement's going to be White Scars. That's the right right now. Um, Which is not the, the, not the chapter I would have chosen. I think that's interesting. Yeah. But that I think I really don't think that the Codex chapters, the ones that use the Codex Astartes, which include Blood Angels and Dark Angels, by the way, yeah. really need to have their own book. Now, the Space Wolves and the Black Templars, sure, I get that. Because they are not, they do not follow the same organizational structures. A lot of their war gear is different, especially the Space Wolves. Yeah, Space Wolves are a totally different beast altogether. Right. Um, they're, they're still at Legion strength, according to the fluff. Yeah. So, I, I get it why some of their stuff is different, but, like, the Dark Angels follow the Codex Astartes. I mean, okay, sure, they have their first and second companies are a little different. Sure. Uh, the Deathwing and the Ravenwing, respectively. But for the most part, they follow the Codex. So why should they have different gear than, say, the Ultramarines? Yeah, and, and I guess I see your point there. I, I, I suppose, in my opinion, and we're getting a little off topic here, but but I, I suppose, in my opinion, 
you know, uh, certain chapters would have access to different things for different points. But unfortunately, my opinion is the odd man out. Like most people are, I think, err on your side. They're more like, if a rhino costs 35 points, it should cost 35 points for every chapter. You know? Uh, right. Not and, just, and you know. I'm okay with certain things like, you know, maybe the Dark Angels shouldn't have access to, you know, maybe something or the other to balance out the fact that they can take Terminators as troops. But keep in mind that the only way, way you can do that is if you take Belial or Azrael. You have to take a special character. Yeah, and that's the question of codex, codex it's balance not like, versus game balance. Yeah. Like, the codex needs to be internally balanced, but it also needs to balance in regards to other chapters and other books and other players and other, right. you know. Yeah, and and so I, I don't really... Uh, the only reason I, I could see certain things being different is if there is a distinct theme. Like, for example, Lightning Claws work just... They work the same for about everybody except for... The space bulls. Sure. They're not even. They're not. Even, those aren't even lightning claws. They're wolf claws. They do something different. A little different, I think. Right. You know. So. And uh, the yeah, other, they, they're better. They allow you to do yeah. both. Yeah. That's fine because they're a totally different, a totally different beast, if you will. Sure. You know. Um, and the other thing too that I w- I would argue, and I know I'm going to be accused of using fluff to justify a rule, but. If all of your tech marines are trained on Mars, which they all are, why is your storm shield different than mine? What is it? So let's let's just lay it out. Is one better or one worse than the other? Well, better? I'm referring to the debacle with the sixth edition. Well, excuse me, the fifth edition Space Marine Codex versus the old Dark Angels book that came out. Oh, I see your point. So that's what, that was the big thing. If both our tech marines are all trained on Mars, which again they all are. Mm-hmm. Why is your storm shield different than mine? Yeah. Well, so anyway, we, uh, yeah, we can go it's round big, and round. It's a, it's a big topic. We we'll probably have yeah. to, we'll probably have to dedicate an entire <laughs> section of that. But uh, for now, with the Space Marine Codex coming out, it's clear that yeah. there is there is, as we saw in the survey, quite a bit of interest in it. There's yes. most players play Space Marine, so that goes to say most of the community. Has something yes. to be excited about. Um, I will be buying it myself. What are you uh, most interested in in the rumor mill? They've talked about what the sort of like a night pattern dreadnought, like a bigger yeah. dreadnought, kind of a cross between a contemptor and a regular dreadnought, and they've you know something about the size of a riptide. So that's one of the big yeah. ones. Um, they've um, talked about bigger terminators. They've talked about yeah. um, sort of these. I don't know what I'd call them. I guess like they've talked about these sort of like racks of missiles or something that sort of attached to the torsos. Um, yeah. Kind of like a poor man's devastator. Maybe I don't really know. I've seen a few sketches. They're interesting looking very different. Yeah. though. I am most interested in the new terminators uh, again. And that's probably because I have a good start on a death wing company. I you like know. that Marines are finally getting a model as big as the gray Knights uh, dread Knight. Yes. I think that's about time. Um, so that'll be interesting. And I'll be interested to see if they release any more flyers or if they just stick with what they've got. Because they've got some pretty decent flyers right now. Yeah. They've got the Storm Talon. They've got the Storm... Uh, what's the other one called? Storm Raven. Storm Raven. So they've got some decent flyers. I don't know if they need anything else. Um, okay. So we'll look for that soon. Uh, let's move on to our final segment of the day. Bits Box. 
And BitBox is where we like to talk about anything on our workbench, anything we're working on, anything in terms of like what's going on there. Um, I haven't had a lot of hobby progress here recently because I've been working on uh, the garage so much trying to get it renovated. Yeah. Um, I did have, um, I am finishing up Spence's Tau Army, so that'll be, I'll post some pictures of that when it's done. Um, it was the first time I, I painted a Tau Army, so that was interesting. It was a lot of fun. Um, ochre is a very different color to work with. Yeah. It, it has some of the rules of working with yellow, but not all of them because it's a darker color. So it's, it's interesting. I like the look of it. It's fun. And um, a friend of mine, I contacted, or a client of mine contacted me, a previous client, because I always give discounts for repeat clients. I give them 5% off. Um, so if you, yeah, I try to encourage people to come back to me, basically. And so he took me up on that, and he, um, he was originally going to do the Tau 8, which is like the Farsight 8 or something. Yeah, the Enclave. It's, it's, it's really cool. I was really excited about it. Like, we talked about it, and there was, like, going to be a Riptide and a Broadside and an Enforcer suit, and they all were very different, and they were all, like, I was really interested in it. I was like, it'd be like the Magnificent 7 or something. It'll be really fantastic. Yeah. I was really into it. Uh, and we, we worked up the quote for it, and it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't really cheap either. And he just, for whatever reason, lost interest. I'm not for sure why. He said that he'll maybe go back to it later. Uh, he did decide to go with 10 jet bikes, though, from the Eldar range. He also has an Eldar army. Nice. So I'm going to be doing that. One, one of them's like um, a, a, what do you call it, uh, a Warlock or an Autark. An Autark. Yeah. And the other ones are all bikes, which I haven't painted bikes before, but he, he paid an extra. He, he paid for Elites, which is sort of my uh, next to my highest paint job quality. So... You know, I got to pull out all the stops, make them look nice. So I'm excited about that. That'll be fun. Yeah, jet bikes are kind of an older model. They haven't had an update in so long. <laughs> I really don't like the pose at all. It's just very stoic. It's just, it's it's like a guy just just sitting on his bike, like nothing dynamic about <laughs> it. Like where with Dark Vengeance, where we release the bikers and the guys are kind of leaning. One of the bikes yes. leaning over. One of the guys is like he's got his pistol out, like he's about to cap someone. Yeah. None of that in the Alder bikes. They're all very boring. Um, so I'm going to have to do something to convert them up or something because they're just they're just boring me to death. <laughs> yeah. So so look for that in the coming up. And um, I guess that's about it. What have you been? Have you had anything? Have you? Well, it's funny you mentioned Dark Vengeance because uh, one of my buddies. It's actually one of the guys I played Death Watch with. Um, he bought the the Dark Vengeance box set not too long ago. Mostly because he wanted a mini rule book. Because let's be honest, the mini rule book is awesome. It is. It's cool. It still retails for like twenty bucks whenever you buy it. Yeah. So he's not really into Dark Angels. He's also not really into Chaos well, not so much into Chaos. He wants to play a Flesh Terrors army, which is a Blood Angel successor chapter. And his brother is going Imperial Guard. And Grey Knight allies, which promises to be absolutely douchealicious. Yeah, that does, that does sound kind of kind of as you said it. <laughs> uh, that was actually a very hard word to say. I can't believe I got that out without twisting my tongue around. A little easier than that word you you had a little while ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so originally, Alan was going to just put everything up on eBay and sell it, but I was talking to him about expanding my Dark Angels army, and I said I needed to buy another. Dark Vengeance box to get the the squad of Terminators, the bikers, and uh, the tax squad that it comes with. And he said, well, I'll just send you mine. So he just gave them to you? Yeah, I said, how much do you want for him? He goes, dude, don't worry about it. Nice. 
So I have to give a shout-out to my buddy Alan. Thank you very much for the Dark Vengeance stuff. They will be put to good use. Alan, I'm going to have to not thank you because you're feeding his habit. (laughs) At this point, it's like giving booze to an alcoholic. So, Alan, thank you for enabling Justin to continue to build this ridiculous chapter of, of epic proportion at this point. Hey, I uh, want to take a Deathwing. I want to take an entire Deathwing company to an apocalypse game and say, "Here you go." Yeah. Well, yeah, that would be interesting. Um, all right, so that about wraps it up for this week's podcast. Um, I don't know what we're going to have for next next podcast, so just stay tuned, and uh, hopefully, we'll have something just as invigorating as politics and warm gaming, which sounds awful when you say it that way but uh it was definitely interesting to sort of dive in and see that yes um justin do you have any kind of final notes anything you any final thoughts you want to get off your chest uh i can't think of anything at the moment so all right well then uh for all of you guys out there thanks for listening we appreciate it and until next time uh, my name is caleb Dillon. my name is justin jones and thank you for listening to war council and until we meet put put your your minis minis where where your mouth is take care